Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Good morning. Our reading today is from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 30. You can locate this text at page 790 in your Pew Bible and follow along if you care to do so. But first, let's prepare our hearts with a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read, and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when through you I display my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and make you follow my statutes, and be careful to observe my ordinances. Then you shall live in the land that I gave to your ancestors, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your unclean, uncleannesses, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field abundant so that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand for So all fall, we have been sitting with the prophets, and the prophets, they spoke to people of faith, but people who needed to, people who needed to realize that their own understanding of God and their own practice of faith needed some, some change because God may not be who you think God is. So this is how it happened to me. I was sitting in a class on Old Testament prophets in 1983. We came to a passage tucked into the 11th chapter of Hosea. It read this way, when Israel was a child, I loved him. 
It was I that taught Israel to walk. I lifted him to my cheek and fed him. Dr. James Mays began expounding upon this passage about God teaching a child to walk, and she leans down with her outstretched arms and let the little child grasp her fingers and take a step at a time and then lifts the child up that she might feed the child. It rocked my world. It was the first time that I had heard someone refer to God as she. Look, I knew Jesus taught us to pray our Father. I knew all through the Bible God was addressed as he. But Dr. Mays said no man in the ancient world would teach a child to walk. No man in the ancient world could nurse and feed a child. This was a feminine image of God in the scriptures. It just erased my board. <laughs> and it wasn't the last time. This is actually a frequent occurrence to anybody who pays attention. So a word about this she business. Does it matter if we use masculine or feminine language to describe God? No, and yes. First of all, all of our language to describe God is inadequate. We are talking about God. And not even the poets have invented the vocabulary to adequately describe the one who fashions the heavens and the earth. But the parental descriptors of God are not intended to describe God's gender. God is not a boy. The parental language is intended to describe belonging, relationship. God is one who claims us as God's own. That's why we refer to God as our parent. But look, Father does that. Father works just fine. So why add all the complication by suggesting God is also mother? Well, in short, history, that's why. The reason Father was chosen in the first place is not because God is more fatherlike but because human beings were more patriarchal. We have a long history in human culture of granting men a smidgen more dignity than women. That's why for a long time, men and only men could be politicians. For a long time, men and only men could be physicians. For a long time, men and only men could be preachers. We are wiser now, and as we grow in wisdom, our language should reflect that growth. Now, some would say this is all just political correctness, but that assumes that everything we need to know we knew yesterday. But actually, this language about, is about trying to reflect the perspective that seems more faithful in a new day. 
Faith will do that to you always. It will always pull you forward, not back. In my own experience, I have found the prophets even from a long time ago to teach me that God may not be who I assumed she was. There is always more to learn. There is always more to know. And the truth is, anyone who is attentive to the circumstances of your own life and the circumstances of the world, while at the same time being attentive to the wisdom of the tradition, is going to discover that it pulls your faith forward. You'll grow. It just never ends. You never quite get there. There's always something new tomorrow. Which is what Ezekiel has done for me. He's erased my board one more time. So let me get to the sermon. Ezekiel, he was a prophet in ancient Israel that was part of the brain drain that the Babylonians imposed on Judah. The most significant crisis, and then the most, and therefore the most significant theological question of ancient Israel was this Why did God's people get removed from the land that God gave them? Some history. In 721 BCE, the northern kingdom of Israel was overrun by the Assyrian Empire. The way Assyrians manage conquered peoples is they scattered them across the entire empire. They, they mixed up their languages and cultures. The assumption was if their own identity as a people was eroded, they would be weaker and easier for the Assyrians to control. 150 years later, it was the Babylonians who were the shaping power in the Middle Mideast, and they overthrew what remained of Israel, the southern portion known as Judah. The Babylonians managed conquered peoples differently than the Assyrians rather than scatter them. The Babylonians took all the leaders, the best and the brightest, brought them back to Babylon, to the capital. The assumption was if we bring the strength of our neighbors to us, it will make us stronger. Well, neither one worked out too well because the problem in managing conquered peoples is that people aren't supposed to be conquered. But Ezekiel was among the brain drain that was marched back to Babylon. And it was there in captivity that Ezekiel addressed the pressing theological question of ancient Israel. Why are we here? Why are we taken from the land that God gave to us? Did God fail? Did God abandon us? What happened? Now, in short, and the prophets all have weighed in on this, in short, Israel admitted it wasn't God that failed. We did. Israel actually wasn't so much overthrown as Israel crumbled from the inside. They lost their moral compass. They set truth-telling aside. They placed personal gain over community health, and they crumbled from inside. 
And that was their judgment. As we said last week, judgment is less often imposed from outside and more often is just the natural consequence of turning away from the ways of God. Ezekiel agreed with that assessment. But Ezekiel was one of the prophets who didn't stop there. He went on and he said, there will be a new exodus. Just like God brought God's people out of Egypt, you remember the story, God brought God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. Ezekiel said God will bring a new exodus, bringing God's people out of Babylon back to the land of promise. They were going home. It would be a dramatic display of God's grace. Now, often that's where we stop talking about the story, but that's not where Ezekiel stopped talking about the story. Because he didn't want God's people just to know what God was doing, but why. Why is God acting this way? And there wasn't just one reason. There were a collection of reasons. One of the reasons we talked about last Sunday. God can't help it. God loves this people. Even when these people refuse to love God, God loves these people. As Jeremiah says, I cannot give them up. It's a comforting word, and it's one we should all hear and trust. But there are other reasons. And Ezekiel says one of the reasons that God will bring Israel back home is God says, it's not about you, it's about me. It's not for your sake, but for my holy name, because you have ruined my reputation in the world. Wow. So last spring, when I was preparing for this series, I came across these words of Ezekiel, and they struck me with a power I had not encountered before, but with something that seems undeniably true. If I understand the text, Ezekiel is saying, how we live, not only as Christians, but as the church, how we live influences how others understand God. You know, sometimes when we think of God, we think of what God does for us or what God should do for us or what we want God to do for us. But there's another side to that relationship, and it is what we are to do for God. And Ezekiel makes clear, God depends on the church, God depends on the Christian to show the love of God in the world. And when we fail to do this, people don't just think less of us. People think less of God. Well, I don't care what other people think. I don't remember the specific situation of the day, but this is what I said to my mother. My 
my teenage self, I said to my mother, I don't care what other people think. She had suggested that something about my behavior or whatnot could be misunderstood, misconstrued by others. And I said, well, I don't care what other people think. It wasn't a phrase original to me. No, I had heard this from others, but it was incredibly empowering. I was announcing that I was my own self. I was marching to the beat of my own drum, and it felt so good. It just wasn't true. <laughs> and more than that, it wasn't faithful. Because you see, you can't love your neighbor if you don't care about what your neighbor thinks. They go together. This is what I mean. Years ago, I got a call from a student here, Shawnee Mission East. He was, he was on the newspaper staff there at the high school, and he wanted to ask me some questions. Fred Phelps and his family had shown up at school and protested, and so he wanted to talk to me about that. And his first question was, do you read the Bible? And I said, all the time. I find a lot of help from this book, and we read it every Sunday in worship. And he asked some few other questions about the church, and, and, and then he asked this, so do you think God wants you to hate the same people that, they, that Fred Phelps hates? I didn't see it coming. I said, whoa, 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 we need to back up. We need to start over. You see, I had no idea this bright, respectful, inquisitive young person assumed that we all thought the same. I said, I need to clarify. I don't think God hates people. I know that some Christians do, maybe all Christians do at some times, but it's only when they fail to be Christian. I don't think God hates your friends. When the conversation was over, I remember feeling embarrassed for the church. There's so many ways. I mean, over the generations, there's so many ways the church has embarrassed herself. There have been too many times when the church has been more concerned about the Christianity of our neighbor rather than being concerned about being Christian to our neighbor. We can't afford to be casual about what others see in us. Now, I know this, we at Village, we're not pure. We mess it up just like anybody else. I do, you do, it's a hard road. But I also know this, how we are as a church evidently matters not just to us, but evidently it matters to God. So I am grateful 
I am grateful that you are a people who choose to engage in signature mission to say to students in Wyandotte County, we may not know your name, but God knows your name. And so we support the work of Avenue of Life because as a people of God, this is what we are called to do and to be. I am grateful that you participate in Be the Church Night so you can engage in small acts of kindness to be Christian to people who hurt or feel forgotten. I'm grateful for so many of you who took a morning to welcome a child into your lap and to read Alexander's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day just because these kids need another positive adult leader in their life. I'm grateful for those of you who carried bread and juice to some folks whose health won't allow them out of their homes anymore. And, and when you visited with them, some of them can't remember what they had for lunch, but they can remember that bread is the body of Christ, and they can remember every word of the Lord's Prayer. I'm grateful how, for how you live it out how you love each other and how you yearn for the truth and how you pursue justice. I'm grateful because it matters, because our faith is not just for our benefit alone. No, our faith should be good for those whom we encounter. It should be good for our community. And that can only be true if we are attentive to how we are perceived, to what others see in us. And I'm grateful for Ezekiel's reminder in teaching, because how we live in the world, it's not just about us. It's evidently also about God's reputation in Kansas City. It matters. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.